You are listening to the audio ministry from All Nations Church, Cardiff. It's my privilege to share the word of God with you this morning. And a few weeks ago I had that privilege and I spoke to you about guarding your heart to gain your inheritance. Um, We looked together at the life of Caleb, having established from Proverbs 4 that God wants us to store up his word in our hearts and to guard it in order that we may gain our inheritance. We looked together at the life of Caleb, how he for 45 years kept his heart right toward God, towards himself, toward those around him and towards his inheritance. And after 45 years of patient, enduring and living by faith, he inherited everything that God had promised him. We learned some lessons from his life that we've, I hope we've been able to put into practice because God wants us to guard our hearts so that we may gain our inheritance. And this morning I want to continue to talk to you about your heart as we are looking in these days at the inner man, as we're talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory, as we're being instructed afresh that as he is, so are we in this world. As we're seeing from Thessalonians that God, the God of peace, is going to sanctify us, spirit, soul and body at the coming of our Lord Jesus. We're beginning to see afresh that what's really in you is what is important. We live from the inside out. We live from grace. Not from the outside in, which is law. We live from the inside out. And one of the big pictures in the Bible of the inner man, of the inner you, of the real you, is your heart. Okay, and we... We can list verses on a heart for the rest of time, I'm sure. But this morning I want to talk to you about guarding your heart in order to grow up. Guard your heart to grow up. Because God wants us to grow. Because God is the source of all true growth. All growth comes from God. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He said to the church in Corinth, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You know, I do not matter this morning. I don't matter. It doesn't matter who's bringing the word of God this morning. What's important is that it's God's word. (laughs) What matters is that God gives the growth. And God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow up. And he wants us to grow up into Christ. Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are to grow up into Christ. No maintenance, no stasis, no retreat, no going round the mountain, no going through the motions, but growing up into Christ. Just as our ability to gain our inheritance is affected by how we guard our hearts, so how we grow up is determined by how we guard our hearts. And so this morning we're going to look at a story that Jesus told, which he called the parable of the sower. And as we read it together, we're going to see some things that we can use and do in order to guard our hearts to grow up. Say up for me. I don't say it quite as loudly as Andrew Hughes did when he was ministering the word to us a couple of months ago. Uh, do you remember that? He was talking to us about being up with, not being a chicken, but being an eagle. But God wants us to grow. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in nature, because everything in nature grows. Okay, growth is a creation principle, and um, in case you haven't noticed, God is the creator. Okay? Darwin knows that now. 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the ground. And the birds came and devoured them, and other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has, not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, and for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the, the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells this story in a couple of places in the New Testament, and we're going to read them all because I believe this is such an important story. In fact, Jesus believed it was the most important story. He kind of rates this as one of his best sermons, as you'll see in a second. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. And I like this translation of the Bible because the first word is this. Listen! Mark chapter 4 verse 3. Listen! A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose it was scorched and since it had no root it withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, for they should turn and be forgiven. 
And he said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Let's look at Luke 8. It's good to read the word of God together. It's much better than my preaching. great to read the word of God together. I love the word of God. Luke chapter 8 verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil. And grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus makes clear to us that the word of God is a seed sown in men's hearts. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he quotes Isaiah in Matthew chapter 13, he makes it clear that hearing begins in your heart. This is what Jesus says. For this people's heart has grown dull. They hardly hear with their ears and their eyes they have closed. Now, Jesus seems to say things that modern day Christians wouldn't dare to say. Because this word dull is a rather offensive word, okay? It means not only to be calloused, it means to be stupid. Now, I'm not accusing any of you of being stupid here this morning, because you're not. But Jesus said, this people's heart has become dull. It's become callous. It's become stupid. They can hardly hear with their ears and their eyes they have closed. They couldn't even see the evidence right in front of them. You can't hear or see properly if your heart isn't right. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts against him. Your heart is the place where you hear. Isn't that really weird? You have an ear in your heart. 
You also have eyes in your heart, Ephesians 1 says. So kind of, what, kind of what's going on in there? And God is the sower of his word. God says in Isaiah 55 that he sends his word out with purpose and to succeed. God, God doesn't throw things out there, kind of just come what may. Some of the versions we've read uh, say that God scatters his seed, but he doesn't do this kind of just willy-nilly. He's a God of purpose. And he's a God of success. Okay? Now, the purpose of God is much misunderstood in these days, so let me tell you what it is. Or rather, let's let Paul tell us what it is, because he's a much better authority than I am. Ephesians 1 verse 9 and 10 says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. The purpose of God is to unite all things in Christ. He's the purpose of God. Not my happiness, not my blessing, not my success, but his. So everything that God ever says to us, every promise he ever makes you, everything that ever comes alive to you from the word and is employed into your life is in order that God may unite all things, whether things in heaven or on earth, into Christ. We really only have one message as the church, and it's that. Christ! Now it's the best message ever. But God, I want you to understand this. I want you to know this in your heart this morning. God intends his word to succeed. There's never been a word that God has spoken that has not succeeded. If he failed to complete his promise to you, it would be the first time in all of history that he'd ever done it. And you wouldn't even know about it because the world would cease to be. If God gets his word into the right soil into the right kind of heart, it will always succeed. It will always prosper. It will always bear fruit. Amen? So we need to ask ourselves this morning, what does a good heart look like? When Jesus says, you know, that it's good soil, it's a good heart, what does that look like? Well, the word that Jesus uses for good in Matthew 13 is the word callous. Not... Um, you know, as in callous, but uh, kalos. And it's a beautiful Greek word because one of the things it means is as one ought to be. In other words, the good heart that Jesus speaks of is the heart that you are destined and meant to have. Do you understand that? You are not trying to attain something impossible in your own strength this morning, but God has given you a new heart in coming to Christ, and he's saying, now this is what this heart looks like. It's the heart that you're meant to have. It's the heart you already have. I've made it easy for you. I've given you good soil. You have a good heart. You have been destined to have a good heart. You've been chosen and redeemed to have a good heart. You've been handpicked by Jesus to be the seedbed of his word and to bear fruit. Now this word doesn't just mean good. It means beautiful to look at. It means handsome, eminent, precious, useful, admirable, excellent in nature and character. It means genuine, approved, competent, praiseworthy, noble, pure, morally good and comforting. 
That's what it means to have a good heart. It's not just, well, that, he's a nice guy, you know, he reads his Bible a lot and he puts things into practice. No. God is destined for you to be someone beautiful, yes. precious, yes. noble, praiseworthy. Amen. Amen. This is who we are, my friends. This is who you are. I would rather believe the word than anything or anyone else. Now Jesus kind of tops this word up in Luke 8. He uses another word as well, which is the word agathos, which means agreeable, joyful, happy. Oh, what a wonderful thrill it is to take the word of God into your life and put it into practice. Oh, it makes me so happy. A happy heart makes a cheerful face, you see. You know, if you're permanently sad as a Christian, you have to ask the question, are you living in obedience? So, what are the characteristics of a, an honest and good, a good and noble heart? Well, the first thing is that you bear fruit. Every heart bears fruit. Every person bears fruit. But what kind of fruit are you going to produce? Well, God wants you to produce fruit like Christ. So let's consider some attributes of the good soil that Jesus describes. First of all, he says, the good soil, the good heart, hears the word and understands it. What does that mean? Well, for us as God's people, all our understanding is by faith. By faith we understand, Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, that the world has been framed by the word of God. I understand nothing by my own intellect. I understand nothing by my own reason. I understand everything by faith. And it's not faith I kind of perceive, or by faith I kind of guess. No, by faith I understand. I know with a certainty that no one can shake me from. Have you received the word this morning and understood it? It means I believe it. I believe God's word. The next thing Jesus says is that we hear the word and we accept it. Mark chapter 4 verse 20. The, 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 the wise man, the man of the good heart, of good soul, hears the word and accepts it. Now, that doesn't just mean that I say, yep, I agree with that. Or, oh, I like that, yep. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll accept that, you know, I hear what you're saying. Well, circumstances are different, Lord, but if you say so, that's fine. To accept something, this Greek word that is translated as accept means to acknowledge as one's own the way a father would a son. Now let's think about that for a second. When the word of God comes to you, do you say, that's mine! I acknowledge that it's mine! I'm bringing it into my life! What a terrible father I would be <laughs> if I was, when my son was born, if I just kind of went, well, yeah, I, I acknowledge that he's my son. Yeah, that, that's fine, and I'm going off on my own way now and leaving him to his own devices. I have to, and my wife and I have to care for our children. We have to bring them up. We wouldn't let them leave home unless we thought they were mature. Now, how do you treat God's word? Because the imagery is the same. When God comes to you, speaks to you out of his word and says, I'm going to bless you and use you to lead many people to Christ, do you say, well, well that kind of sounds good. I mean, it's impossible, but great. Or do you say, that's mine! That's mine! When God promises you a husband or a wife, do you say, well, that's his No, that's mine! When he says, you will lay your hands on sick people and they recover, do you go, well, I'm not sure. No, that's mine! And I'm not letting it go! 
just as I wouldn't let my children out of my sight as they grow up, I'm not letting this word out of my sight. When God says to us, we're going to be a people who are going to have a clear voice into this world, you say, or you say, that's mine. And I'm not letting it out of my sight. It's coming and it's living in my heart. It's coming and living in my house. I acknowledge that it's mine. We need to be more ruthless, friends, with the word of God. It's his word. But it's mine too. (laughs) Just think about what he's promised you. Is it yours? Not merely in mental ascent, but in living out life every day. You know, I get off the train um, about a mile or so away every morning from Caffili and I walk into the hospital. And I like walking the streets sometimes and just thinking, Lord, I just want to thank you that you've promised us we're going to be a voice into this city. Just remind the city as I walk along. Sometimes I find there's no one else on the streets that time of the morning. But I'm just reminding the city, you belong to me and my friends. Because you belong to my Lord. Start living it out. That's mine. God's told me I'm going to move house. That's mine. God's told me he's going to give me a job. That's mine. God's told me my family are going to be saved. That's mine. God's told me the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's mine. God's told me all my life I'm going to be healthy. That's mine. God's promised me everything I ever need he'll provide. That's mine. God's promised me anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's mine. Next thing we need to learn is to yield. Jesus says that those who have good hearts, who produce good soil, grow up, increase, and yield. God's been speaking to me a lot about yielding recently. To yield means to surrender, to give over, or most importantly, to follow a master. Are you following the master? Are you following the master? Do you yield when the word of God comes to you? Do you surrender to its power? When it says something to you that is contrary to how you feel or your present experience, do you say, I'm going to change or I'll change the word? No, you can't change the word. Do you yield to it or do you not yield to it? Do you surrender to Christ when he speaks to you? Or are you trying to achieve God's purposes in your own natural abilities, ideas and strengths? It's time we all learned John chapter 6, that the spirit gives life and the flesh avails nothing. Jesus says in John chapter 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If we're going to yield, if we're going to bear fruit after our kind, if we're going to bear fruit after the Lord Jesus who lives in us, we're going to have to get our natural man out of the way. Spend some time in the book of Romans and realize in chapter 6 that you died with Christ when he died because you have been baptized into his death. You can only die daily if you've understood already that you've died. Don't try to die as a Christian. You've already died. The next thing is to be patient. Jesus says in Luke 8 that those who bear fruit in an honest and good heart bear fruit with patience. Oh, what a beautiful word patience is and what a terrible thing it is to experience. That's most people's experiences, isn't it? But patience is wonderful. 
patience is a wonderful thing. Paul says that his salvation, uh, as the worst of sinners, is an example of Jesus Christ's perfect patience. Jesus Christ is perfectly patient. And aren't you glad? (laughs) I know I am. I'd have given up on me a long time ago. But the kind of patience that Jesus is talking about is the characteristic of a man who will not be swerved from a deliberate purpose by even the greatest trials and sufferings. That's what it means to be patient. You know, there are people of great patience in this room. People who waited years and years to receive what God had promised them. They never gave up. They never became bitter. They never compromised. And they received what God had promised them. We're privileged to have some of those men as our leaders, you know. They can tell you their own stories. But they're men who've exemplified what it means to be patient and to persevere. The Apostle Paul says this to the Galatians. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We hear this a lot, don't we? But that's because the Christian life is a life of never giving up. Just don't do it. We don't give up. We don't quit. We don't quit on one another. We don't quit on ourselves. We don't quit on God. So if your heart, the heart that you already have, the heart that God has given you, is a heart of faith, acceptance, yielding, and patience. Now, in order to guard your heart, to keep it that way, okay, you're not trying to attain something you don't have, you're trying to keep something that you already do have. In order to guard that heart, you need to overcome some things. Now, we love overcoming, don't we? Amen. If you don't like overcoming, learn to love it, because this is going to be the rest of your life. And if you want to share the throne with Jesus, you've got to learn to overcome. First thing you need to overcome is testing. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 21, in relation to the seed sown on rocky ground, that tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Luke describes it as a time of testing. Very simply, every word that God has ever spoken will be tested. And it's been that way since the Garden of Eden. When the serpent turned up and said, did God really say? You ever heard that voice? If you, if you don't realize you've heard that voice, you've heard that voice. It's the voice that says, did God really say he'd save your family? Did God really say you could lay your hands on the sick? Did God really say that you would get a job? Or that you'd be able to move home? Did God really say that you should live in Cardiff? In, in Cardiff? I mean, New York is a lot nicer. It's okay, I've been there, it's alright. No patch on Cardiff. Um. Don't listen to the voice that says, did God really say? Overcome testing by persevering. This is what James says in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now that is a mature mindset. Imagine being able to say that every trial I'm ever going to face, I'm going to consider it joy. I know I'm not there yet. Man, some things I face, I think I'd I'd rather you went away. 
But James says, consider it pure joy because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The persevering man will be proved mature and complete. Do not give up. When Jesus spoke of the seed sown among thorns, he lists three things we need to guard against. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Luke says that these things stop fruit from maturing. Now we're going to consider each of these in turn, but think carefully about what Jesus says. He says these things enter into your heart, and these things choke the word. That image of entering is, isn't just something that kind of sidles in and kind of is there and you don't really know it. It means that something moves about freely. What have you let move freely about your heart? What is moving freely this morning in your inner man? Is it Christ and his word? Is it bitterness and unforgiveness? Is it doubt? Is it apathy? What is it that is, you've allowed to flow, you, you're allowing to take up all the space in your inner man, in your heart? God has dealt with me a lot in this in the last year or two. Show me time and again patterns of thinking I've allowed myself to get into that lead me down roads of negativity and anger. And I've had to repent. Not ashamed to say that. And he's helped me. He's helped me in my thinking. We all need help in our thinking. Don't dwell on anything that causes you to think badly of God or his people. Don't let it in. And don't let them choke the word. That image means that something presses against you until it suffocates you. These things are going to cause the word to suffocate. We don't want that, do we? Jesus speaks of the cares of the world. And this really is all to do with worrying. The worries of this life. Do you know worry, the English word worry comes from a word to mean strangle? Whenever you worry, you're strangling something. When Jesus speaks of worry, he's using a word that means to promote your own cause. When you worry, you are thinking of yourself more than God and other people. Do you know the life of Jesus Christ knows no worry? Jesus has never worried and he never will. Do you know to receive Christ is to relinquish all worry? You can't live the life of Christ and live a life of worrying. And we overcome worry through prayer. Evidence of a lot of worry in your life is evidence of an absence of true prayer. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Sharon's already there. Philippians chapter 4. Now this isn't the only thing we pray. We don't just pray to get rid of worry. Okay, no, It's not kind of like a, just a, an exchange. But one of the things that prayer does, true prayer does, is it alleviates us from anxiety. Okay, if you go to God in prayer about something, and then you leave his presence and you're still worried, you haven't really... Um, prayed you've just spoken and uh, God was waiting to do something and you didn't let him Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 don't be anxious don't worry about anything let's just claim that one that's mine 
That's mine. I acknowledge that as a child. I acknowledge that as a child with a parent. Don't be anxious about anything. That's mine. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5 says a similar thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The humble man cannot worry, because he's cast all his anxieties on the Lord. It's impossible to walk in true humility and not cast your anxieties on the Lord. A friend of mine put a status up on uh, Facebook this week. A friend of mine is a doctor in the Midlands. He met an uh, an old lady when he was um, working as a doctor. And she said, "Uh, son, I have given my life to Jesus. I do not know what worry is. The next thing Jesus says we need to overcome is the deceitfulness of riches. Money is not only the common currency in this world, but it's the common language of this world. The world lives to pursue wealth. We live to seek the kingdom of God. God does not want our hearts to be full of riches and the deceitfulness of riches. He wants us to be full of his word. Is there anything wrong with money? Nothing at all. Money is... A neutral thing. If you put it in the hands of a righteous man, he'll use it righteously. But God does not want us to be deceived by riches. To be deceived by something is to put your trust in it when it cannot help you. I met a man the other day who worshipped an idol. I don't know if you meet many people who worship idols these days, but I met a man who worshipped an idol. He worshipped the idol of money. He's an old school friend of mine. I met him in passing. We started talking about his life and his career. And he's moving all across the world at the moment, just trying to earn a particular amount of money. He said, this is my goal, this is what I want to earn. And he's willing just to go anywhere in order to make it. He's been deceived by riches because he believes, and he told me this to my face, that if he earns this certain amount of money, he'll be happy. He's been deceived. He was deceived to the point that I prayed with him and laid hands on him and God healed a sickness in his body and he didn't even notice. He saw the power of God, God healed something wrong with his wrist, and he just went, oh yeah, okay, and he carried on. He had been so deceived by the God that he worshipped that he couldn't recognise the life of Christ that had just manifested. Now I'm not going to give up on him because he's my friend, but learn the lesson. Don't be deceived by something that can't help you. Overcome deceitfulness by being a generous giver. This is what Lydia Power shared with us last week, wasn't it? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he's a cheerful giver. Final one that we need to overcome is covetousness. Jesus calls this the desire for other things or the pleasures of life. The desire, that word their desire means to lust or to covet. And the word pleasure means a love of ease. Paul describes covetousness as idolatry in Colossians chapter 3. 
And Jesus in Luke 12 says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is covetousness, that you define your life by your material possessions. A heart like that will never grow up into Christ. Now there's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. But there is something wrong if possessions have you. If your heart is only set on gaining more and more possessions, then you've fallen into covetousness. If you're obsessed with getting the latest car or gadget, and it demands more of your attention than the Lord Jesus, then you need to change. Because a heart that is set on material things cannot grow up into Christ. How do we overcome covetousness? By learning contentment. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every case, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, Paul acknowledged that there was a challenge in facing plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The writer of the Hebrew says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, God is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can learn the contentment of just saying, it doesn't matter what I have or don't have. God has promised me that he'll never leave me. God has promised you he'll never leave you. Man, that's enough. I got everything I need. God's with me. doesn't matter if I don't have a nice car or a nice suit. doesn't matter if I lose my job or I get a better job. Whether I'm a baster or a bound, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, what a people, a contented people are. So God wants us to guard our hearts so that we grow up. God wants us to have a good and noble heart. A heart that is as it ought to be. A good heart is a seedbed for the word of God and so bears good fruit. A good heart is a heart that understands the word by faith, accepts the word, acknowledging as its own, as a parent would a child. It yields to God in order to produce what God wants, and it works and waits patiently until that fruit comes forth. A good heart overcomes testing by persevering, worry by praying, the deceitfulness of riches by giving generously, and covetousness by learning contentment. You see, God sows his word into our hearts so that from our hearts may flow his word. And all of this is because he is working in us to produce his son. Let's look at a scripture as we finish. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature, perfect, grown up in Christ. 
This is why we need to guard our hearts, because God's intention is to produce us and present us to himself mature in Christ. This is why we need to accelerate the good and deal with the thorns, because God is going to produce in us his son. Let's pray, shall we? You've been listening to a message from All Nations Church Cardiff. To download other messages, subscribe to our podcast, or find out more about us, log on to www.allnationschurch.org.uk. Thank you.